Well, I do want to just be able for myself to say happy Mother's Day to you, to all the mamas in the house. But like James said, um, we really get to celebrate all women today because whether or not you have born a child of your womb physically, God has gifted and anointed you, ladies, to nurture and to bring forth life. And so our gift of motherhood is not so much about us being mothers, but about us being connected to a good father and learning how to be good daughters. So we just celebrate all women. Happy Mother's Day. When James and I first got married, I thought I wanted six children. And so I got out my graph paper and charted how far apart they needed to be in order to fit this in while I was still in a certain age and what their names were going to be, what their monograms would look like. You know, I, I mean, I had this whole plan. So we had one and I was still feeling pretty good about it. I mean, I could hang. And then we had two. And then things adjusted. It was a huge wake-up call for me at two. We kept on. And as you know, we have four kids. And oh my goodness, it is really, really hard. A lot of times, whenever I would take all the kids to the grocery store, I would get really wide eyes. And people would ask me, wow, are all those your kids? And then followed by, well, how many kids do you want? And I thought, you know, it might not be a good day to ask me that. Because on those days, usually it was none. I need to return these ones. Do you know where I can give them back? Because this mother thing, this parenting thing is hard and it's expensive. It's costing us some dollars. And so along the way, I've learned that we need to be a little bit frugal. Like I'm low-key obsessed with saving money, finding the best deal, finding the best bargain. And one of the ways that we save money is on haircuts. We just have some dollar source scissors, and the girls get a trim. I trim my own hair, so it is what it is. I think my hairdresser probably doesn't think she's actually my hairdresser because I only see her like, you know, once every year. And then the boys' hair, we just take clippers to it. So a while back, we got this, at Christmas, we got this sweetest, cutest puppy, Holly. I mean, she's like real cute. I'm not a dog lover, and she has transformed me because she is so cute. And so I was thinking, well, this just isn't fair. Why would I take Holly to the salon if none of us are going to the salon? And so... I didn't have to get anyone dressed or buckled in. I just ordered the clippers off Amazon. And I gave Holly a haircut too. So. <laughs> so I, I might have to touch it up a little bit still. But I still have the clippers. I think on Monday is my last day to return them. So I can still fix it. But we saving money. We saving money. If I can just keep, be honest and keep it real for a minute, be vulnerable with you, I didn't feel like I was the best fit to speak to. You guys are still looking at the picture. You gotta take it down. It's time to get serious. I didn't feel like I was the best fit to speak today because if I was really honest with you, I would let you know I'm behind on my reading plan. I'm not caught up on my Bible reading. I don't feel like I have this super fresh revelation from the Lord. And my house is a wreck. We just finished three birthdays. And then tomorrow is pastor's birthday. And I don't have a plan. 
So it's a little bit chaotic, and I know that I'm no busier than you are, but it's just a full season for us. It's a full season right now. And so developing a message in the middle of this didn't seem like a good fit. And I had talked with some of my friends, one of my friends, Robbie, her and her husband, Pastor and Cersei, and she said, don't you think maybe the fact that you feel like you don't have something valuable to offer, that you don't feel maybe that you're qualified is maybe the very reason you should speak. Because I wonder if maybe you as a mother here today might also feel like maybe some of your inadequacies or shortcomings that on Mother's Day, Happy Mother's Day, you're reminded of maybe some of the areas that you've missed it. And I know that I'm aware of areas I missed it. And so as I was thinking through that, I thought, you know, I had this big list and at the chief of them was, not only do I have something valuable to say, but what am I going to wear? I mean, that was like the most important question. If any of you remember when you left the hospital, they didn't ask for your certification. No one turned to you and said, can I see your license to take the child? Can I see your license to be a mom? They just checked if you had a car seat and they let us out of that place. <laughs> like, they trusted us to raise this human into a responsible adult. And so I thought about maybe what the application would look like. Being a mom might be right for you if you like lukewarm coffee. Check. Being a mom might be right for you if you enjoy Cheerio dust in your purse. Or if you like to shave just one leg. You know, I mean, it's a good look. Being a mom might be right for you if you want bleacher stripes permanently tattooed on your hind parts. That was me this week at Track and Field. Being a mom might be right for you if you own a nonprofit laundromat. Being mo a mom might be right for you if you like cooking. Okay. Like every day for decades on end. Like every night they look at me. <laughs> Being a mom might be right for you if you want to open a jewelry store using paper clips and noodles. We got plenty. Being a mom might be right for you if you never want to be alone while pooping. I mean, I just need like a moment, people, <laughs> just a moment. It's amazing, there's no test, no certification, no licensure to be a mom, just to be a dog groomer, right? <laughs> I missed it. I'm thankful I didn't have to take a test because there's a good chance I may not have passed. There's a really good chance. I didn't get picked today because I'm the best mother. I got picked today probably because Pastor wanted me to study a bit more on how to be a good mother. <laughs> I'm just not perfect. I don't have it all together. James and I look to so many of you daily on how to raise our kids, on how to do this life thing, and we're thankful for you. Let's pray. Lord, I just pray that you be in this place. Use my words. I pray that you encourage your people using this story. Father, we give our inadequacies, our shortcomings to you, and we ask that you transform them using your strength. Amen. Today, I want to talk about pain and the purpose in our pain. If you are a mom, you know pain well because you grew a child inside of you and somehow it came out. That is the pain of childbirth. But there's also the pain of not being able to go through childbirth. There's also the pain of losing the one that gave birth to you. We all deal with painful situations, whether it's loss or abuse, neglect, or the pain of depression. And I think how we deal with those situations in our today can affect our future 
and impact generations to come. Today might be a very painful day for you because of that term, Mother's Day. Because it might be something that you feel like you had just almost wrapped your arms around that term, mother, and then it was taken away from you. God can use even our pain. Sometimes we don't see purpose in our pain because it is so painful. We're so consumed with how it feels in the moment. It can be hard to see the purpose in it. When our oldest, London, was a little girl, she had this little stuffed animal named Bunny. She actually still has it. She slept with it every night. And I remember one time she asked me, Mom, if our house burns down, will you buy me a new bunny? And I thought, okay, if our house burns down, I am not going to be thinking about our stuffed animal inventory and which ones we need to restock. Like, it's going to be a different picture. It's going to be, you know, a new house. And what am I going to wear? The priorities were out of line because her pain of the thought of losing something was so short-sighted for her. There may not be a greater heartache than for someone to long to be a parent, a woman long to be a mother, and for that not to be fulfilled. And that was the desire of Hannah, and Hannah's who we're going to look at today. Hannah wanted to have a child. And when I read this story of Hannah, it was a kind of a discovery for me because I realized Hannah was pivotal in paving the way for Jesus. There's a lot of people in scripture that fulfilled prophecy by what they did and what they carried out. And this one just happens to be a mama. Hannah was the mother of Samuel and Samuel was a prophet, the prophet that anointed David. And King David fulfilled prophecy by um, being the patriarch of the lineage of Jesus. Hannah's story, we're gonna start reading in the first book of Samuel, 1 Samuel, chapter 1, verse 2, said he had two wives. The first was Hannah, the second was Penina. Okay, hold up right there. I understand it's the custom of the day, but already, let's just disregard Elkanah's example on how to be a good man, because the word says he had two wives. Penina had children, Hannah did not. Every year this man went from his hometown up to Shiloh to worship and offer a sacrifice to God of the angel armies. Eli and his two sons, Hophniah and Phinehas, served as the priests of God there. When Elkanah sacrificed, he passed helpings from the sacrificial meal around to his wife Penina and all her children. But he always gave an especially generous helping to Hannah because he loved her so much and because God had not given her children. But her rival wife, this is... Penina taunted her cruelly, rubbing it in and never letting her forget that God had not given her children. This went on year after year. Every time she went to the sanctuary of God, she could expect to be taunted. Hannah was reduced to tears and had no appetite. Her husband Elkanah said, Oh, Hannah, why are you crying? Why aren't you eating? And why are you so upset? Am I not more worth to you than ten sons? Okay, Elkanah. You just don't get it. You just don't get it. I mean, first of all, men, God designed you for one woman. And you try and take on any more than that, and you a fool. You are setting yourself up for failure. And secondly, when your wife is upset, I'm no couples therapist. So, you know, maybe it's not the best advice. But I'm going to bet you do not need to go to her and like, am I not better than ten sons? Come on, baby. No, no, Elkanah, that's not what I was looking for. It's a no. 
But here's Hannah. She's depressed. She's oppressed. And all of this is stemming from her barrenness. Any of us can have barrenness in our lives. Your checkbook can be barren. You might be in a marriage where you feel like there's no life. Any relationship you can feel like is void. Maybe you feel barren in your creativity or your ability to think of new ideas. Maybe barrenness in your ability to run your business. Your prayer life can be barren. Anywhere you look around and feel like, God's not moving. There's not life here. That's the barrenness. That was Hannah's situation. She was unable to have children. In verse 10, it says, deeply hurt. Hannah prayed to the Lord and wept with many tears. Deeply hurt, many tears. Another translation said she was afflicted. Hannah was a desperate woman. I'm sure you have been in desperate times. I know we've had different seasons where we feel desperate. Several years ago, um, over 10 years ago now, um, I had found myself on the other end of a phone call where I was given a diagnosis. I had melanoma stage three skin cancer. And um, my friend Jill Hamilton came over to my, our house. And I mean, this woman was brilliant. She was brilliant. She, brought, she had studied melanoma and brought over all the vitamins and nutrients that she had studied that fought melanoma and she brought them over to my house. She brought us a meal. She brought my kids little outfits. She prayed for me. I went through surgery and um, I was declared cancer free. And it was amazing because I feel like a lot of it had to do with what Jill did for me. A few years later, the reason Jill um, had worked so hard is not only because that was important to her for nutrition, but Jill previously had had a cancer diagnosis and was in remission when I had skin cancer. And a few years later, it's been six years ago now, her cancer came back. And that cancer took Jill to heaven. And when Jill went to heaven, I remember thinking, this doesn't make sense. She knew how to take care of her body well, what to feed her family, how to feed the nutrients her body needed. And I'm here and she's in heaven. And then I also thought, Lord, who's gonna be my Jill? Who's gonna teach me what I need to feed my family, how to keep them healthy, how to take care of us? And the Lord spoke to me and said, Cody, you have to adopt that mantle for yourself. You have to be Jill to someone else now. A lot of times I think the healing touch that we are expecting, we expect someone else to touch us. And really the mantle has been transferred to us. We get to touch someone else and we get healed. There's purpose in our pain. In Hannah's desperation, she ran to the altar of God. I love that this is her response because the word says he's our comforter, he's our counselor. And not only that, but he sent his son Jesus to walk through it on the earth so Jesus can relate to us. In Isaiah 53, Verses three and five, it says, he was looked down on and passed over. A man who suffered, who knew pain firsthand. One look at him and people turned away. We looked down on him, thought he was scum. Through his bruises, we get healed. Through his bruises, we get the healing. Amen. Just like through Jill's death, I got healing. How about that girl Penny though? Penina, she's a real piece of work. I mean, first of all, they have the whole sister wives thing going on. But second of all, she is mocking. Women, this thing has been going on for far too long where we argue and fight and compare. We have to lift our eyes and see what a strength we have. 
when we support each other, when we stand arm in arm, linked together, refusing to rival one another. Even though we all have difficult people in our life. We all do. No one is above this. I know I have to learn to deal with difficult people well because I am a difficult people. I'm one of them. Matthew 5, 43 says, I'm telling you to love your enemies. Let them bring out the best in you, not the worst. What? When someone gives you a hard time, respond with the energies of prayer. So what do we do with our pain? In verse 11, picking up the story, she made a vow saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me, not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor will be used on his head. That meant he was going to be a prophet. And she kept on praying to the Lord. Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart, and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, how long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. Okay, I don't know about you, but if I was on like a spiritual high, my best behavior, pouring out my grievances to the Lord, I'm trying to keep this sister wives thing at bay, and then Eli comes on over and starts falsely accusing me, come close, Eli, I'm going to put my elbow in your eyeball. I'm not having it. Because I know in my pain, I can be critical. That can be my tendency. One of the things that James and I are so thankful for is that is just not true of you. New Life Church, you are a grace-based people, and this is a grace-filled house, and we love to get to see how you have grace for one another. And don't judge people quickly. I know I can struggle with that. When, um, before we started having children, when we were perfect parents, right, I was watching a couple girls of my, my friend's daughters. I was babysitting, and she had walked me through the house, walked me through the schedule, and then showed me what she had for dinner. And she had set out um, some frozen chicken nuggets and a can of peas and I think some pudding. And I remember thinking, I'll do what you're asking me, but I would never. I would never feed such innocent tummies frozen food, frozen processed food, right? And now, fast forward a few years, and I throw open the doors of my fridge and start flinging out taquitos and corn dogs and every frozen food possible because I can get dinner on the table in a moment. Grace is something I have to practice. Grace may not come natural to you, but you can choose grace. You can choose grace so many times that people identify it as a gift in you. We get to choose grace. Hannah chose grace in verse 15. Not so, my Lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I've been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. We see Hannah and we can follow her example. She brings her heartache to God. Bring your heartache to God. Because Hannah prayed to the Lord, but she also confessed what she was struggling with to someone else. That same Eli. One of our kids has been struggling with some nightmares. And um, he stumbles in in the middle of the night. And let me tell you, I'm just not on my best game. (laughs) When they come in in the middle of the night with a nightmare, and I have like the worst theology in the middle of the night, you know, just, Lord, please send rainbows and butterflies and kill the rhinos and rattlesnakes, amen, and send them off to bed. And it's kind of a sad prayer, but... 
I'm working on it. But we have done so much to see victory over these bad dreams. We have posted scripture over his bed. He listens to worship music as he's sleeping. We pray specifically. We pray through the scripture specifically to stand against those dreams. And he's still getting these dreams. And I just thought, man, this is frustrating. God, if you're not going to lift this, if you're not going to shift this, why am I still continuing to pray? And my friend Tanner, she encouraged me. She actually reminded me, prayer refreshes our soul before the answer arrives. And it's true because that boy is able to go back to sleep. And every night he lays down his head and he has peace when he goes to sleep. What prayer do you need to share with someone? What can you invite someone in with? Asking activates the power of God in our life. We keep asking. We keep asking. Never underestimate the power of prayer on the lives of your children. In verse 17, Eli answered her, Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. She said, May your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went her way and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. I love how practical it gets here. Because Maybe the verse before she did do something spiritual where she confessed it to Eli, but it gets real, real here. I think Eli's side hustling a taco truck. He flings one out at her, and she's feeling better. An encouraging word plus a physical need equals life. Who can you encourage today? And if you feel like you don't have the gift of encouragement, there's something practical you can do. You can sign up on a meal train. If you're an empty nester and you miss folding laundry, just let me know. I can help you out. In verse 19, early the next morning, they arose and worshiped before the Lord. This is the next morning before they had conceived. They rose and worshiped the Lord before the promise had given, just like Noah worshiped before the rainbow. And then went back to their home at Ramah. And here it is. Cover your eyes. It gets a little scary. He lit a candle, put on that Marvin Gaye record, and... The Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, saying, because I asked the Lord for him. And in verse 25, here's her obedience. They brought the boy to Eli. Bring your obedience to the Lord. She said to him, pardon me, my Lord, as surely as you live, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. I prayed for this child. The Lord has granted me what I asked of him. So now I give him to the Lord for his whole life. He will be given over to the Lord. And they worship the Lord there. We know that God keeps his promises. We have a book filled with hard evidence. Like an attorney, we get to go in and look at the facts of his promises. But Hannah kept her promise too. She brought her son just like she had said. I looked up this word gave in the Greek and Hebrew because I thought maybe it would impress you. I knew a little bit of Greek and Hebrew. It means gave. <laughs> so maybe not so impressive. But sometimes I think we think our acts of obedience need to be impressive. I think we think they're going to be grandiose and big, like giving a child. Like, and sometimes our acts of obedience are just really simple. Being good stewards with our finances, being responsible with our health, being intentional with our time being present with our families, they're simple. Maybe not easy, but simple. At the end of the day, we get to choose if we're going to bring that in obedience. We're working on obedience with our kids, figuring it out, 
They're actually doing really well. My son Corbin loves practical jokes. Ooh, loves practical jokes. He loves pranking. So on Monday, April Fool's Day, we were headed to school, and I made sure we made it very clear. Son, no practical jokes at school. You cannot prank teachers. This is not going to go well for you. He'd already told me what his plan was for the students. He was going to put plastic over the toilets. No, son, no pranks. No pranking students. No pranking teachers. You cannot prank at school. And so he promised me um, he wouldn't do any April Fool's Day jokes at school, and I felt really proud of him that he was going to obey. And like I said, it was Monday, so on Monday, James and I go out on a date. I dropped the kids off school and came back home to get ready for my date, um, went to dry my hair, turned on my blow dryer, and <laughs> this explosion of white baby powder filled the bathroom. <laughs> Ruined my blow dryer. He put baby powder in my blow dryer, April Fool's Day. But technically, he did obey, so he gets a point. I think Hannah could have come up with a lot of reasons for her not to obey what she had already promised to the Lord. We don't know how old Samuel was, but the word says after weaning. And the only reason that it would say after weaning is if it was close to the time that he was weaned. You wouldn't use that example if it was 20 years later. So he was little, maybe three, no more than five when he was brought. I think she could have come up with a lot of reasons not to bring him. He was probably just too young. And this not only was, was also obedience because this Eli is the same mouthy priest that called her drunk. And the word says that he had two sons and those sons were evil. They did not honor God. And so she's bringing him to be raised alongside these two boys that didn't love the Lord. And has never promised more children. At this point, Samuel is her only son. So she's bringing her only gift, and she's now only going to see him once a year. Every year she would go and visit him, and she would bring him a tunic that she, that she made. Mamas, pray over your kids as you're folding their clothes. Take it as an opportunity to remember what God has done in their life. As you do their dishes, as you wait on them in carpool lines, take every moment for God to remind you how to pray for them. Every year she went back. And she had an opportunity, I think, to bring Sammy back home, to take back what she had given to God. But every year she went, saw Sammy, and said goodbye. She not only obeyed, but she renewed. She re-upped her obedience every single year. Every single year she renewed her obedience. There's a movie out. It's not a new movie. It's with Owen Wilson. It's called No Escape. We watched it a while back. I actually thought I was going to be able to play the clip of this movie, and I previewed it to check, and I couldn't make it through it. Like, I, I, it just was so intense for me. But in this movie, Owen Wilson moves his family. He has two daughters and a wife. They move overseas for a job, and the country they move to ends up getting taken over by rebel vigilantes and um, is in a very rough situation, and they're at, in a hotel, and they're forced to the rooftop of the hotel, and there is literally no escape. There's gunfire, there's militia, they're totally surrounded, and Owen Wilson turns to his wife and says, this is the plan. There's a building next door, and you're going to run, and you're going to jump to that building, and once you make it over, I'm throwing the girls to you one by one, and she's not having it. She says no at first. 
but she agrees. She runs and she jumps from one building to the next. She crashes. She probably breaks a leg, but she makes it. And as soon as she's back up on her feet, Owen Wilson turns to that first little girl. And he picks her up and he launches her into the air over to the mama. And I just thought, what a picture of our ability as a mama to trust what the father asks over what we think is safe, over what we think is a good idea, because that little girl flies over to the air and she makes it safely into the mama's arms. And then there's still another daughter to go. And he turns to that little girl and she says no. She honestly starts throwing a fit. She's throwing a tantrum. But the father knows what's best. He tells that little girl to close her eyes. He takes off his belt and he straps it around her arms. Not because he wants to control her, but he wants to help her obey because he knows what's best for her. And I just thought, this is how the father treats us. He puts us in a position where we can obey best, even if we don't think it's best. And so he picks up that second little girl, throws her over to the mama, and both the girls make it. The whole family lives. But it just affected me so deeply in understanding what it looks like to give our children to the Lord. We give them over to so many things, good things. What does it look like to give them to the Lord? Is there an area that you need to give to the Lord? Maybe the very area that you feel barren, the very area that you feel lack, maybe a job, maybe your children that you need to give over to the Lord. Bring your obedience. In 1 Samuel chapter 2, the story wraps up. Hannah prays, I'm bursting with God news. I'm walking on air. I'm laughing at my rivals. I'm dancing my salvation. Nothing and no one is holy like God. No rock mountain like our God. In verse 5, her declaration, the barren woman has a house full of children. She had five more children after Samuel, who once was barren, now has is a mother of six. Hannah's first response is worship. She thanks God because she knows where that strength came from. Bring your gratitude to the Lord. Don't forget what God has done. Hannah recorded this. She wrote it down. These are her, this, these are her words, her worship. Bring your gratitude to God. Gratitude, like grace, is a choice. And we have to choose and we have to practice and we have to exercise. Even if it's awkward. Last year, I had an awkward moment. <laughs> Last year at Women Conference, um, I was in the offices talking with some of the women team, and Pastor Rick and Michelle's assistant walked in with a young lady. She was just this tiny little thing, and I thought it was um, one of the interns that was just kind of learning the ropes of hospitality and hostessing, and I walked over and introduced myself and said, thank you so much for serving. We really appreciate your help around here, and she reached out her hand and said, of course, nice to meet you. I'm Andy Andrew. Andy Andrew was our keynote speaker for the conference. And it felt so awkward. Thank yous can even be awkward, yet it's worth it for us to give them. Our kids are watching. Our thank yous, our attitudes are infectious. My was checking out the other day. Do any of your kids like to do the swipey thing? They like to be the one to swipe the card. They don't understand. I might not have the money to do the swipey thing. But my kids like to do the swipey thing, and so I'd let one of them do the swipey thing, and they ran it, and the screen populated with a question asking if I would like to donate some money to a certain charity. And my child immediately, no, because they just want all our money. 
Apparently, I'm a greedy mommy with a greedy mommy infectious attitude. But we can choose to write a note, make a phone call. I have a girlfriend, Christy Westlake, that is so good at this. You cannot even know that you have done something and a thank you note shows up in the mail. Harvard did a study and on that study they gathered together a few hundred people and as a form of therapy, they had those people write thank you notes. These are, this is the finding. This impact was greater than that of any other form of intervention. Thankfulness made people happier and healthier. Hey, thank you cards are cheaper than therapy. You have a thank you card in your seat. One of the things that I like to do in my spare time, I don't know. One of the things I like to do when I should be doing something else, maybe that's better said, is graphic design. And so you have a thank you card in your seat and you can use this to immediately respond and send someone a thank you card and let them know the impact they've had in your life. In chapter seven, Samuel calls on the name of the Lord. He's learned from his mama what you do in hard times because the nation of Israel is up against the Philistines. They're facing war and Samuel calls on the glory, the provision of God. Where did he learn this? He learned it from his mama. What if, what if Hannah hadn't brought her pain to the Lord in this situation? Where would have Samuel learned? Who would have anointed David? Who would have stood for righteousness in the next generation? This was pivotal that they brought their pain to the Lord. There's a song by Kelly Clarkson, What Doesn't Kill You Makes You Stronger. And that song was actually written by a young lady named Allie. And Allie was on her way to a writing session. And she was at a very dark season of life. She had called her mom on, her, on the way and just basically said she wanted to give up. She didn't wanna write songs anymore. She didn't wanna do this. It was too hard. It wasn't a good time for her. And her mom replied, Allie, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And now it became an anthem that Kelly Clarkson sang. The encouragement of a mother. The impact on bones is actually what makes them stronger. The tearing of muscles is what increases their capacity. The Lord has some unconventional, sometimes painful methods, but if we can give our weaknesses over to Him, He can transform them through His strength. Bow your heads this morning, I wanna declare to the lonely mother facing the empty nest, for the mother struggling with struggling children who feel like a total failure. I see you, single mom. I know you're wondering how long you can keep all the plates in the air. To the woman who longs to be a mother, but for some reason can't. For the stepmom in the blended family where it's just not working out. To the person missing their mama today, you feel like nothing can touch your heartache. We see you. To the young mom of preschoolers wondering if this season will ever pass to the foster mom that's loving another woman's child like her own, and to the mom that had to say goodbye way too soon. We see you. Be reminded of what Jesus said. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. I will give you rest. 